0: Welcome back, Compass Bible Church, to another episode of the Compass Equip podcast. This is Pastor Evan, and I'm joined with Pastor Hayden. Here I am. Here you are. I am here. We're both here. Well, here at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples. That's what you kind of talked about this Sunday. I did. Sure did. By reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ in everything that we do. Here at Compass Bible Church, including this podcast and everything in between, is to fulfill that mission of reaching, teaching, and training. And if you have any ministry ideas that don't fulfill that mission, they're,
1: they're good. They're good. They're, they're
0: ideas. There it is. We just may not do them. We're just going to reach. We're going to teach. And we're going to train. And we're going to train. All right, Pastor Hayden, you just preached a sermon this morning on Sunday on prayer and evangelism, on the sermon title "Intentional Interactions" out of Colossians four verses five and six, and let me read that right now. It says, "Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person." All right, Pastor Hayden, what is the one, the main? Th- thrust the main focus of the sermon as kind of a recap but also what are some things that you we missed because you just ran out of time
1: yeah the focus that you guys heard on sunday morning was that we must intentionally interact with every outsider that is non-christians that we specified during the sermon Uh, we should interact intentionally with all of them by using our life our time and our speech specifically to win souls to Christ. There's a lot of things that we can do with our time, with our life and with our speech that can be good things, um, but in the text we are focusing specifically on the need to use those things to win souls to Christ. And the two points that came with a uh, myriad of subpoints were number one, live out your faith with intent to intentionally, uh, live out our faith in such a way where it is on display for all to see, and where it is explicit and where it is applied in the sense that it's not just something uh, that we keep internally, it's something that we make evident in the way that we speak, and the way that we live, which brings me to my next point, point number two, is we need to speak to win souls to Christ. I know there are a lot of ways you can speak. There are a lot of things you can talk about, uh, but what we need to understand biblically is, is that our words ought to build up and to encourage, and there is no better way to build and encourage people than to win souls to Christ. Uh, And our speech, even as verse 6 says, it needs to be full of the grace that is of graciousness from a human perspective and full of the grace of God through the gospel. It needs to be seasoned with salt uh, in a way where it's flavored and it's uh, tasteful and tactful. Uh, When we give out the gospel and even when we speak to people Uh, every day. Even when the gospel isn't presented, those things need to happen, but they definitely need to be happening when we are preaching the gospel, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. It needs to be full of the grace of God, full uh, of tact and flavorful, and it needs to uh, be specific to the people. You know, the gospel doesn't change the message and changes or wavers. But we know how to talk to different people because of the different circumstances that they may face. And the gospel can hit them in a contextual way. If you would just take the time to know how to answer them where they're at. So what is the danger if we do not
0: apply this sermon?
1: Yeah, the danger is, is something you see all the time in churches. Uh, either you've never been able to put your finger on it, or maybe you've just never articulated it out uh, you know, publicly, uh, is that when we don't do these things, and we don't uh, prepare to interact with people intentionally when it comes to the gospel, uh, you have really weak churches. You've know? uh, you probably have been to churches, or you know, I pray it's a church that we don't become, and we're always, in, uh, we're always at risk in becoming a church like that where there's not a lot going on in the church, you know, it's very rote, it's very liturgical, we're just hearing, we're gone, we're here we're gone, I say hi, I say bye, uh, and you really lose the, uh, I would even say the flavor of, uh, of the church, of, of, of a biblical church, where you see people's lives change dramatically, and you see people one to Christ. Uh, and, and really, it is one of the biggest downfalls of the Christian witness is, when we don't intentionally uh, interact with people with the gospel, and you just miss out on so much. And I know so many times you can't put your finger on it when you're in a community of believers uh, that don't do these things intentionally, but I know for a fact you know a difference when you enter into a community of Christians who do these things. It looks different. It tastes different. Uh, and as a matter of fact, it is different, not in the gospel proclaimed, I hope, but just in the way that we take it serious. And you see people baptized, and you see people give testimonies of repentance and faith, and you, like, and you say to yourself, man, I want more of this. And so, you know, the danger is you get to miss out on that. And, you know, we talked in the sermon even about being a good steward and, you know, missing out on the rewards that God has for His faithful servants, and that we Uh, shouldn't be those who have been given so much and then we do so little with it, like the unfaithful servant that we've seen in the parable of the talents. We need to be the kind of servants that take what God gives us and produce fruit with it. And and that is the most biblical, godly, precious thing that we can do with the gospel is to produce a return uh, with the kind of uh, conversations that we have and the lives that we live that propagate the gospel message.
0: So you mentioned in point number one That we need to make sure we're living this out with intent, and that's how you even began the uh, first service sermon about making sure that we're intentional with every part of our lives to make sure that we're doing this. Now, I've worked in jobs that was not involved in the church, and so how can we as to live intentionally with our our neighbors, our secular work, or, or school, or just how can we be intentional? Sometimes I'm, you know, I was feeling convicted, you know, I'm flying by the seat of my pants sometimes mm. and I need to make sure I need to slow down and be intentional and plan this out. How would you try to help our people understand a little bit further as before we move on? Yeah, I think you keep saying the
1: word over and over again that it fixes the problem and it is intent. It is intentional. Like, you know, if you're if you're going into, uh, you know, your, your finance company uh, and you have no Uh, intent to share the gospel, you can spend the next 20 or 30 years never sharing the gospel because you're not being intentional. You're being passive. You're being implicit at best. uh, And you're you're not spending time looking at all the situations in your finance department, which, you know, there are so many words. You come from uh, an education and a little bit of a background in the workplace where you were working in, in a kind of financial environment. And you just think of all the biblical words that have to do with finances. It doesn't take long to figure out how I can turn reconcile and to redeem into a, <laughs> into a gospel conversation. And it just comes with the intent. Do you have an intent to share the gospel? Because if you have an intent to do it, and that's what you are going to do explicitly. You're going to find a lot of ways to do it, and you just have to pay attention and to spend time and nurture the kind of uh, mind and heart that is necessary uh, to live intentionally when it comes to the gospel message.
0: That leads right back to, and leads right into, excuse me, uh, my kind of second question on your sermon uh, under point number, I believe, actually still under point number one. It's making best use of the time. It's that uh, Greek word that you you broke down for Mm -hmm. us in terms of purchasing it. So how can we, maybe a practical example, repurchase our time to use it to advance the kingdom?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're going to find, again, and it's all about, it, it really is, passive and active, like it's just a relationship between you can just let every moment pass you by and do nothing with it. And the problem with that is in most ministries, most churches, and most families, no one's going to bat an eye about it. You know, no one's going to say anything about it, but when we look at Scripture, it talks so much and so consistently about the need for us to use our time uh, wisely when it comes to the gospel. And I mean, and practically, I mean, it's it's literally just saying, hey, uh, you know, as I am living my life, as I'm going to a restaurant, you know, I, I have to eat. I got to eat. Okay, well, how can I redeem my eating for the gospel of Christ? Well, I have a waiter. I have uh, somebody that buses me to one table to the next, right? I'm interacting with, with uh, waiters and waitresses. I'm interacting with... Uh, you know, if you're at a nice restaurant, you even got somebody who takes your car. What are those people called? Valets. Valets. I don't know nothing about that. But I mean, the problem is, I mean, even in the waiting, right? You got to wait. Oh, we got a 30 minute wait. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to sit down in the waiting room for 30 minutes and you're going to look at your phone? Or you can redeem the time, purchase it, and use it for the gospel conversation. I
0: mean, and that's just going to dinner. I mean, what, what do you have? Well, I was going to lead right into your second point. So, I had, I had that was my last question, but then mm. another question came mm. up. And so, I was talking about point number two speaking to win souls to Christ. And you mentioned to be tactful. The gospel doesn't change, but maybe that the way that you present it. So, you know, let's give an example, put you on the spot a little mm-hmm. bit. You, you're you going to share the gospel with someone either in the waiting room or to your waiter or, or waitress or, or, or busboy. Like, how would you try to share the gospel in its entirety to someone in a restaurant? Yeah, I mean, you, you got to ask questions, right? And you got to be—you know,
1: you don't have to be a professional question asker, but, I mean, when you ask people questions, you know, hey, you know, uh, especially for those of us who came to plant Planet Church here, but even those who didn't move here, I mean, hey, you know, are you from New Braunfels? Hi, how are you doing? You know, oh, hey, uh, I moved here three months ago. Well, hey, what brought you here? And you talk about work, uh, and they're going to ask you, you know, what are you doing here? Well, you know, regardless if you moved here to plant the Church or if you're just here, you're still here for one purpose, and that is to— build God's church. And so even just right in that situation, if you're being intentional, you can say, you know, I'm here and, and uh, we've planted a church and we plant a church because we know that places like this need a Bible teaching church. Do you go to church? And then bam, I mean, or you can even start, you know, Hey, do you go to church? And you get into the conversations there and it just takes you into the gospel. The problem is, is we're, we're kind of willing to go all the way to that threshold of uh, pleasantries until religion. And then we're not able to then ask that question about, hey, you know, do you go to church anywhere? And uh, even here in our culture, you're going to find people when you say, hey, do you go to church somewhere? And I have this happen all the time. Yeah, I go to so-and-so's church. And you can either say, oh, okay, cool. Or you can say, when is the last time you you went to church there? Well, you know, it's been it's been a few years. And you say, oh, so you really don't go to church anywhere. Then let's talk about that. We'd love to have you come to our church and uh you know, when it comes to gospel conversations, I always say, wherever you land, do not end the conversation without an invite to church, because oftentimes, you know, people may either reject your gospel or uh, may put it off, but when you give them that invite, it gives them a continual invitation every single week to come hear the gospel, and I can't tell you how many people I know who came to Christ because of that. And so, I mean, there's just a few examples on the spot of how you can give gospel conversations with people and always leave them with an invite to come here
0: more. Just a reminder to encourage us all to do this. It's sometimes a scary thing to do. I remember there's a popular evangelist that is, you know, is uh, well-known, especially on YouTube, saying that every time he goes up to someone, he thinks they might murder him. But yeah. he says he does it anyway and turns out the person's a really nice person. He's going to share the gospel with them. But to remember this truth found in Luke chapter 12... About how not to be anxious, anxious about what we're going to say to defend ourselves, but instead to trust the Holy Spirit and knowing that he will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And to say, I going to be faithful, to open my mouth, and to share the gospel, to be able to deliver the bad news, the good news, and the right response to others. Knowing that it's going to be God who is going to speak through me to be able to articulate the truth in trusting in God and the Holy Spirit to convict that person to lead them to Christ. Well, Hmm. before we dive into that rabbit hole, how about we talk about some (laughs) application, uh, application questions direction as we are about to dive into the questions this week, Pastor Hayden, what is the thrust and focus and maybe a question that you want us to make sure that we do? Yeah. Again,
1: with application questions, it derives its name because of what we want you to do. We want you to apply the questions to your life uh, into your situation, and then share that in your life group. Uh, we, we, you know, we don't want commentators, and I just say that over and over again, because it's so important that if you would learn to speak uh, in the life group with how you're applying this to your life, it's going to motivate people and direct people to say, oh, you mean we have to do this with our life this week? It's, instead of just saying, well, you know, Paul says this here, and if everyone did this, life would be better. Instead of saying, you know, I read that question, and here's what I'm doing this week. Yeah, powerful that is, and that's really what it means to apply the Bible to our lives, and that's why we have application questions, because we don't just want to answer questions uh, and, and comment on them. We want to apply them directly to our life. Uh, one of the questions that I really love here, and I want you to spend some time uh, diving into it, is uh, question two. And, uh, you know, what does living with intent and wisdom look like for the Christian? And secondly, in that question, what is the danger of half-heartedly living out your faith with no gospel intentions? And I want you to think about that question. Because once you start thinking about that question initially, you're going to have a hard time finding answers for that. Well, what is the danger? But I want you to look and and search scripture and find examples like the parable of the talents. Or, you know, like uh, the scripture that I, you know, pulled up there in Philippians 2, you know, being proud that we didn't run and labor in vain, and find things like that. And you really find and and see uh, that there's a lot of places in Scripture that talk about uh, the dangers of half-heartedly living out your faith with no gospel intentions. I know that even the church in Laodicea there in Revelation it talks about, hey, you're not hot or you're not cold, and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth, right? Hot water is good for something. Cold water is good for something. Luke water was good for nothing. And that church, <laughs> in lack of better terms, was good for nothing. And Christ is going to vomit him <laughs> he's out. He's going to spit them out, vomit them out. And so it's like, man, we have to see the danger of half heartedly living out our faith with no gospel intention. I think that's a great question. I want you to spend a lot of time on that one. All these are great, but I really, uh, that one resonated with me
0: quite a bit. And I'll touch on, before we j- jump into the DBR spotlight, something that you mentioned in the, the sermon about that quote, about the one mm. that we both hate, is, you know, yeah. sh- you know share the gospel who, always. Who
1: said, who, did, who did they think said
0: that? that it was, so, yeah, it was Francis of Assisi. Francis of Assisi. But he like, didn't say it. Oh. That's the funny part, oh, is that he someone attributed it. it, and it turns out he never said it. He said something that might be similar, but essentially what was in there... Um, you can say the r- rules that they had in his monastery was to make sure that you are you know, preaching the gospel with your words and actions mm. to make sure your, your words are matching your actions. Or as a Bob Johnson would say that the tongue of your mouth is matching the tongue of your shoe that you're, yeah, you're walking, you you're talking, you're walking, the, you're talking the walk, walking the talk, walking. Yeah. I can't think talking of it. Talking the talk and walking the walk. There, there you, you go. go. Well, yeah, it's Francis of Assisi.
1: He did not, and that. he didn't say it, and neither should you. You know, and yes, our our walk should uh, imitate the uh, the speech, but the gospel is a proclaimed message. Caruso, we talked about it over and over again in service, uh, and it is a preached message, and that's how people come to Christ through the spoken word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, Pastor Evan, we are at a very crucial place in our. Uh, compass Equip podcast so that would be our daily bible reading spotlight could you take us through second kings chapters 1 through 14 and tell us what we can be looking forward to this week in our daily bible reading
0: you can look forward to the proclamation of god's word you're going to hear Yo. that over and over and over from you know the prophet elijah wraps up his ministry and the prophet elisha is proclaiming the truth to israel to repent so essentially, I want to cover the entire book of Kings because this week we're going to read most of the second part of the scroll of Kings. So second Kings in your Bibles. And just as a reminder of a note, this if things seem to get worse, they are. It's a, almost a reminder, a reflection of the book of Judges where the, in the book of Judges, Israel kept getting worse and worse and worse. And as you see, the kings of Israel in second Kings. Get worse and worse and worse. And eventually the kings of Judah, even though there's a couple king good kings here and there, they get worse, worse, and worse. And actually the worst king, Manasseh, is the worst of them all. Manasty. Oh wow. Oh, man. <laughs> Let's let that soak in for a second. Manasseh. Man- <laughs> We're gonna talk about him when we go through second first and second chronicles, but to remind you of some of the main characters that there are in, in the book of Kings is you know you got the kings of Israel uh, the kings of Judah and also you get the prophets and the book the second kings really focuses on the ending ministry of Elijah and, and the ministry of Elisha and a couple of, uh characters uh, gentile characters one being um Nebuch- uh, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon um Sennacherib of uh, of Assyria but also uh, Naaman the the leper of Assy- of Syria and so you're going to encounter these characters and the main purpose of the book is the main purpose is to explain why Israel and Judah were in exile. This is a book most likely written after Israel was in exile. And it's like, how did we get here? Aren't we God's chosen people? Aren't we supposed to be in the promised land? Why are we in Assyria? Why are we, why are we in Babylon? And it's like, no, Well, let's read our history and see how we disobeyed God. But the, one of the main emphasis that you're going to see throughout the book is that despite Israel and Judah's unfaithfulness, god was faithful god's mission w- w- did not fail instead it, it was successful but before we jump into that real fast here's a quick outline of second kings second kings chapter one through 13 that's going to be the main thrust of that is going to be elijah elisha's ministry um, here's a little fun fact here's a detail in chapter two elijah was not carried up in chariots of fire he was caught up in the fire, but there's chariots of fire keeping Elisha and Elijah separated. There's a little fun detail for you. I didn't notice until a couple years ago. Also, 2 Kings chapter 14 through 17, that's just going to be the lies of the kings of Israel and Judah until the kings of Israel get worse and worse and worse. And eventually, in 740 BC, Israel was exiled by the Assyrians. Then chapter uh, 2 Kings chapter 18 to 25, that's going to be the final kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. In their their history until their uh, exile in 586 BC by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, and then at the very end, the last footnote that almost seems out of place, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Second Kings chapter 25 ends with hope, actually, even though they're in exile, it ends with hope. But as a reminder, if you did not already, it'd be good for you to reread Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28, the blessings and cursing, curses of. Uh, from God to Israel if they disobeyed obeyed or disobeyed we're seeing how they disobeyed and what we see is eventually Israel's judgment comes in second King 17 where eventually in the ninth year of uh, Hosea the king of Assyria captured Samaria and carried all the Israelites away to Assyria and placed and placed someone else in, in charge why because even though he brought them out of Egypt even though they gave him a land they rejected God even though, And also he warned them, he sent the prophets to proclaim, to use their words to say, you need to repent, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments, keep my statutes in accordance to the law. But they were stubborn and just like their fathers and did not believe in the Lord. And so they were judged and placed into exile. And eventually, as we see in 2 Kings 24 to 25, we see Judah's judgment as they were taken into exile because they followed Israel's path and rejected God, even though they had plenty of warnings from the prophets They still rejected God. Instead of having one key text, I want to break down three key texts, which sounds like a lot, but we're going to do it because these are three things that I want you to notice as you're reading 2 Kings. First is 2 Kings chapter 5. This is the account of Nahum, the Syrian general who was healed of leprosy. And the point is that here's a man, a pagan, a guy who does not fear God, a guy who is actually attacking God's people, coming to Israel to be healed he turned he comes to Elisha because he had a slave a woman slave that said hey There's a prophet a man of God in my where I'm from So he turns to them and guess what he gets healed And he at the end in verse 15 says that there is no other God in all the earth but the one in Israel And so here is a Gentile pagan enemy who has now been reconciled by God and made clean And so it's, the point is just you know Israel as we remember in previous dbr at a daily Bible reading Israel is supposed to proclaim the good news to the rest of the world that they they can you know that they can they can have a relationship with God, but they failed. But guess what? God's you know they failed, but God doesn't. So He's bringing the Gentiles to Him anyway. So that's the first text we need to focus on. The next text is going to be 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 18 to 20. This is Josiah. This is a great relief after reading some terrible kings to see a guy who, who hears the, the law read to him. Apparently, they lost it. He hears it. He is in agony over his sin, of, uh, the nation of Israel's sin. He tears his clothes in repentance. And so he has a national repentance. He tears tears down all the idols. He tears everything down, and because of that, God relented his his wrath on Josiah's on Josiah's life and on Israel on Judah during Josiah's reign. And so later it came because hey, I'm going to fulfill my promise. But because you repented, because you inquired of me, because when you heard my words and repented, when they were proclaimed to you, hear that theme. They were proclaimed to you. You repented. I will show mercy, and so see that how as the word of God, when it is proclaimed, it will convict people towards salvation, away from their sin, and towards God for deliverance. And so that this little example in the Old Testament should give us hope to continue to proclaim the gospel to a lost world. Should hope, yeah, I love to have a national repentance, but the only thing that's going to change it is going to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the final text that I want you to focus on it's gonna be technically next week is second Kings chapter 25 in the final verses 27 to 30 there the exiles happen the destruction of, of uh, Jerusalem has happened it's a horrible terrible scene but then it fast-forwarded some years and eventually the king who is in captivity is brought out of prison and so The king of Babylon brings Jehoiachin into his presence and says, hey, take off your prison robes, put on new ones, and eat at my table every single day. And so the the point of this little footnote is to end the book with hope. Remember, he's a descendant, this king of Judah, who's in exile, is a descendant of David, who's a descendant of Abraham, who's a descendant of Eve. And remember, all the way back in Genesis 3, you have to remember this, there's a seed that was promised that would crush the head of the serpent. And what is showing there that the seed is not destroyed. The seed is alive. The seed is alive and well, knowing that eventually through this person's line, we're gonna get who? Jesus Christ. And so we're gonna have that the seed to come is eventually going to crush the the head of the serpent. But right now the book ends in the middle of, of, of this exile, the beginning of the exile, I should say, with hope saying, Despite your unfaithfulness, despite even though it seems like the enemy has won, that the pagan gods have dest- defeated Yahweh, know that they haven't. My plan is moving forward. So even though you're in exile, I am still faithful. Even though you are not, and this will all point towards Christ. And Ezekiel 37 will eventually get there in our daily Bible reading. But you know they had the two nations of Israel. Yeah, or the, you had the ten tribes in the north, the two tribes in the south, and. Only one person is gonna unite them, and that's gonna be Jesus Christ in the millennial kingdom. So Ezekiel 37 verses 21 and 22 you know, foretells this coming where the, the kingdom would eventually be united under one king, and one king will rule over them both. And who is that king? It's going to be Christ. So what is the point for us Christians? to remember these words in John 16, verse 33, that as for Israel, they're supposed to have hope in the situation. You're in exile, you're defeated, but have hope in God. I am still over, I have overcome the world. And that's what Jesus told his disciples. And he wants us to remember that even though we have tribulations, take heart, I have overcome the world. So when we look around at the headline news, as Pastor Hayden mentioned in the sermon, We can take heart. God has already overcome it. His kingdom is coming. And so let us proclaim, as the prophets proclaimed to Israel, let's proclaim to our nation and the nations all over the world, the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. That was a great daily
1: Bible reading spotlight. We hope that is an encouragement to you as you are diving in each day to your uh, daily Bible reading. We're going to jump in uh, briefly to our current event, and since we've been talking a lot about prayer and evangelism, we thought we would uh, dive in a little more deeply into the topic of evangelism. And remember, if you have not been with us over the last couple weeks, evangelism comes from the Greek word evangelion, okay, which you see translated often in the uh, New Testament as the gospel. And so for us, evangelism is just a transliterated word that means gospel, which just means good news. And so what we're doing when we evangelize is we are giving the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. And so since we see that evangelism is such a large message, we want to help you guys and give you tips and resources on evangelism. And so a couple of tips I would give you, I remember a while back I created an evangelism pamphlet that kind of gives a little bit of guidance on uh, on evangelism and how we can do it really, really well, and uh, some uh Some tips I even wrote down on here was you need to understand why people don't evangelize. You know, we have fear and rejection, uh, lack of time, time commitment. Now, these, I say, are reasons why they're really excuses of why we don't do evangelism more. Uh, But the third one here is apathetic and nearsighted. Like, you're not looking uh, at what God's will is and nor, you know, people say uh, nearsighted because you're not looking at God's big picture because at the end of the day, uh, if you understood the impact of the gospel and you could look ahead at what God has for those who love him or are called according to his purpose, those faithful stewards of the gospel, you would do this in a heartbeat because the reward is so worth uh, the cost. And then a lot of people do not feel equipped, and uh, often a lot of people will use this, and it's always true, we can all be more equipped. But at the end of the day, we need some simple things, some simple uh, help to be able to share the gospel effectively, uh, and that is one we need to know God's Word. Just jump into God's Word, know God's Word, know the story of the gospel, how God uh, has created everything, that God's perfect, holy, and just, that uh, God uh, is uh, so far separated from us, and that We are separated from God, and we are sinful, and we are broken people in need of a Savior because of our own sin, and that that God had sent His Son, Christ, into the world who's perfect, right, who took our place and was our substitute both in His life and His death and His resurrection uh, as a uh, propitiation for our sin, Uh, and then knowing that uh, all that is the good news, the bad news, uh, but there's a response necessary, and that is that we would turn from our sins and a life lived for ourselves, the very things that put Christ on the cross, we would turn away from that life, and we would trust in Christ. I mean, that's just a simple, uh, straightforward gospel proclamation. Uh, And another tip would be uh, learn how to share your own testimony. You heard baptisms last week, and I hope that you could at least, in those testimonies, in our services at 9 a.m. and 11, see just how clear a lot of them were and how much they really pointed to the problem of sin and the solution in Christ and then how their life has changed. You need to also know your story of repentance and faith. You need to practice telling your story and then you need to engage others with your story. And uh, when you can uh, take the gospel message, share it, and then talk about how that same gospel message is the same thing that transformed you and your life through the power of Christ I mean, man, I think you're really going to get somewhere. And those are some good tips, uh, some very helpful, just basic things that you can do to do better evangelism. Pastor Evan, we have some resources on here to kind of help give some more uh, resources and some more help in this topic. What are some ones that you found really helpful?
0: All right, get your pen ready if you need to rewind, by all means. But the first one is we need to make sure that we're praying. And a good book to help you spur on your prayer life is The Power of Prayer and the Prayer of Power by R.A. Torrey. Now, this is going to be a great book to spur you on to be praying because we can't see anyone saved without turning to God. So it's Mm. getting our prayer life for the people, prayer life for the opportunities, and a prayer for God to save souls. That book will really convict you about not praying enough for lost people. It will be great, though. It's good. And there's a couple apologetic books we want to give you. There's a general apologetic book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh and Sean McDowell. That is a great general apologetic book that you can pull out of the book and just kind of read different parts of the book. It's not supposed to be read from cover to cover, but in snippets. And a very specific apologetic uh, book called Can We Trust the Gospels by Peter Williams. No, but no, Pastor Hayden, you like this resource? Yeah, I like this resource because there's a common question you get when you share the gospel
1: with people, especially skeptics. They're going to say, how do we know Jesus was even real? And, you know, there are a lot of questions that are hard, but that's just not one of them. And this book lays that out really clearly of, uh, you know, people like uh, Tacitus, you uh, uh, the Jewish historian, uh, Josephus. I mean, there's, there's there's just people throughout history in the first century when Jesus was around who wrote about him. And so it's like, man, that is just an easy one. And this book does a really good job at kind of pointing out some just really easy to dismiss, or at least I shouldn't say dismiss, but to answer clearly and articulately, hey, that's untrue. Look, look at all these, you know, extra biblical places where, you know, they talk about Jesus or they talk about the crucifixion or even the resurrection. And this is how we can trust what the Bible says because it's been uh, proved true even with uh, extra biblical resources
0: and people who aren't even Christian. And so that's why I really love that book. And here's three more kind of more about evangelism. One is how to have a conversation. It's called Tactics by Greg Koukl. Essentially, the best part of the book is how to navigate a conversation. Next is gonna be The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. This is the main thrust of it is the focus of one-on-one discipleship, something that you mentioned in the sermon Mm -hmm. that the people that you led the Christ were on -on one-on-one conversations. And so Mm -hmm. this is a really helpful book to spur you on to disciple, but also evangelize through discipleship. And then finally knowing that there's a next generation coming, this book is called so the next generation will know by Sean McDowell and Jay Warner Wallace. I've read this book a couple of times and I love it. It's a great book to how to think, through while you're engaging with the next generation, the the college students, the high school students, and the future high school students coming up. So here's a few helpful resources. If you need to repeat it, just rewind a little bit and get those resources on your bookshelves and read them.
1: All right, so to end our episode, we have some really big announcements that we want to continue keeping in front of you guys as you uh, embark on this journey with us here at Compass Bible Church. Uh, The first is Exploring Compass. Hey, if you're listening to this and you've never gone through Exploring Compass, let this be the end of that for the rest of your life. I want you right now to go on to compasshillcountry.org and tap the Exploring Compass tab and sign up for the June intensive, where I will be teaching what is normally a two-week class on one Sunday afternoon on June 12th from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. We're going to have lunch there, so don't worry about figuring out where to eat. We'll have childcare, so don't worry about where to take your kids. We have all that taken care of. All we want you to do is to come learn about us, get connected with us, and start serving with us. We've taken care of all the other things, so just sign up there for our June 12th Exploring Compass Intensive, because we want you to be a part of the Church, to be a fully functioning member of our Church, and you have to go through Exploring Compass to do that. And so make sure that you register for Exploring Compass. Next, we have our partner's graduation dinner. We have a lot of people registered for this, so I'm assuming Pretty close to all the people who graduated are uh, registered for this, but if you maybe are under a rock or you just don't didn't know we were talking about this over the last four weeks, you're invited to join us for a celebration dinner on Sunday, May 15th at 6 p.m., the uh, author of the Partners One-on-One Discipleship is going to be here, Dr. Mike Fabares, uh, to uh, give us a encouraging message for those who have graduated partners. And this is for anyone who's graduated partners ever. And so if you were, 30 years ago, graduated partners, which I think would be impossible because partners wasn't around then— but uh, still, if you've ever graduated partners, even if it wasn't here at our church, you are invited to come and celebrate at our partners' graduation dinner. Child care will be available for infants through fifth grade, but you need to register in order uh, to have a place apart, set apart for your child. Uh, sec- or thirdly, We have our same person, Dr. Mike Fabar, is coming to preach in the pulpit on May 15th. This is next Sunday, guys, at 9 and 11. He'll be on campus, and I pray and hope that you would be with us, you would join us for this awesome weekend uh, where so much is happening, and uh, for us to give Pastor Mike a really warm welcome here in the Hill Country. But Pastor Evan, we got a, a big announcement that we released this morning and our services. Uh, what can uh, our kids and students be looking forward to this summer?
0: Well, for the next generation, we have some summer camps planned. So parents, block off the calendar. If you had plans, cancel them and put this <laughs> in there. Register Registrations are now open for all camps. For Compass Kids, we have three summer camps camps coming up we have a science camp on June 21st to 23rd an art camp on June 28th to 30th and then camp compass RVBS uh, type camp on July 12th to 15th and all of those are for incoming first to fifth graders and registrations are now open so invite all the um, we'll invite all the kids register your kids and let's get hundreds of kids to come in here to not only have fun and get connected to the church but to hear about the saving gospel Finally, we have the student summer camp called Revival. We want to see <laughs> Revival in this next generation and we're going to be Pastor Hayden and I will be at the camp teaching the students about logos. Now, not the software, but the word. It's the Greek it's Greek for the word. And so we're going to teach the students how to take God at His word. So save the date, July 20th to 23rd. It's at Carolina Creek near Huntsville, Texas. And that's for incoming sixth graders to twelfth graders. And we want to get as many students there knowing that the gospel will be preached, that students will get saved, and students will grow in their faith. So registrations for all that is online at compasshillcountry.org. So make sure you go to the kids page and the student page and register the students and kids and invite families. To bring their kids and students to camp. We're so grateful that you
1: joined us on this episode of the Exploring Compass podcast, and we look forward to seeing you guys soon.